Well, we're in for a great morning this morning. So we're going to be reading to you from Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. If you've got your Bible, why don't you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Now, we're reading a, a pretty big portion of Scripture this morning. The, the, uh, the, the Scripture is going to pop up on screen behind me. Uh, picking up from verse 1. Here we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witness to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, have, not, have you not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin? And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children when he said, my, chi my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does, all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of Spirits and live forever. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. Isn't that right? It's painful. But afterward, everyone say afterward. There will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Man, well, I was uh, 18 and coming to the end of high school uh, when a friend approached me uh, just after I'd finished my exam. He came to me excited and he, he said to me, I figured out how we can earn some easy money. Uh, who knows that the warning signs were blinking. Easy money, easy money. Naturally, he had my attention. He looked me in the eye and he said two words, apple picking, <laughs> right? Okay, apple picking, let me go on. Uh, so you, you gotta understand, I was raised in central Auckland city. I didn't even realize we grew apples in New Zealand, <laughs> right? So I, I didn't really know what I was signing up for, but I agreed. I was like, hey, why not? So our exams finished and, and we came up with a plan after Christmas, we're gonna head down to Napier for three weeks. We're gonna save money, save enough to, to, to last us our first semester at university. Uh, it was great, we got down there and man, it was a great time in Napier. Beautiful place. I was having a good time, it was the peak of summer. The sun was shining out in the orchards. I was picking apples and whistling. You know, it was incredible. Every now and then I'd pick an apple off the tree and take a bite. It was like those, those apples that you see in the movies, you know, they're like red and then the inside's just white and juicy, they're incredible. 
Man, it was beautiful. I could hear birds chirping. It was a great time. You know, I got to the end of the first day and I was tired, but you know, I was satisfied. I was satisfied and uh, I woke up the next morning, got to the orchard and, and it had been raining that night. And so the trees were wet, uh, the orchard was muddy. And uh, by the end of the second day, I was knackered. Man, I was tired, my arms were aching. The tips of my fingers were sensitive and sore from picking the apples off the trees. Hey, hey, right? The, the apples were, they were organic, right? They were rough. <laughs> Don't judge. You know, by the end of the, the third night, I kid you not, I was literally dreaming about apples. Man, there was like carnival music and there were apples like floating around my head. It's like a monkey clapping cymbals and this crazy lady cackling in the background. It was, it was freaky. And so what, what was supposed to be a, a three-week working holiday ended up becoming a, a three-day trip that, that costs us more than we actually earn. Man, you can go ahead and judge me. But just remember, not a person in this room has not been tempted to give up from time to time. Right, every one of us, you know, for some of us, we've even succumbed to that temptation, whether it's a diet uh, or a gym membership, a, a fast or apple picking, whatever it might be, you know, temptation to quit gets the better of all of us. Like, even when you know it's good for you, it can be tough to keep going. Who knows that to be true? Right, you know it's right, but, but, but quitting just looks so good. And it was uh, earlier this year that, that Pastor Willie and the team uh, organized a church-wide fun run. Man, it was, it was an incredible event. They had an amazing job. It was, it was, it was well-organized. It was a great day. Uh, but why they put the word fun and run together, I still don't know. Still working on that one. And so I turned up on the day. There was a bunch of us there. You know, I, I did my warm-up. I stretched. I decided I was going to enter the 10-kilometer race. I thought, hey, why not? Let's give it a go. And so there was a bunch of us. We lined up on the start line. The whistle blew. And do you know what? For the first 10 minutes, I told myself, Ed, you got this. You got this. And do you know what? It was actually a really enjoyable experience. I had a great time. The, the sun was rising over the city. There was a cool sea breeze drifting off the, uh, the Manukau Harbor. You could hear the sound of seagulls and the faint sound of children laughing in the distance. It was a great time, you know. As, as runners would run past, I'd, I'd smile and wave, offer them a warm, friendly good morning. It was a great time. But it was at about 10 minutes that I began to struggle. <laughs> right, and shortly after that, it all began to change. Now, all of a sudden, I was struggling to find oxygen in the air. You know, I had nothing to offer friendly joggers other than a grunt as I trudged past, staring at my feet. You know, all of a sudden, my goal went from crossing to the finish line to survival. Now, I wanted to live and not die. Right now, uh, there's a lot of people out there who would ask, why put yourself through something like that? Man, what would, what would, what would possess you to do that? As the saying goes, no pain, no pain. Right, it's always great when you start out, you're gonna, but you're gonna get to a point where it isn't fun anymore. Right? It's not new and as exciting as it used to be. Now, who, 
Who here knows someone that as soon as they stop having fun, they just put on this kind of bored stature? You know, they just put on this bored pose. I'm bored. Anyone, anyone know someone like that? Don't look at the person next to you. Word of advice. Maybe parents with children, anyone? Yeah, yeah. Do you, know, do you want to know my theory on the subject? This is my theory on the subject. If you're bored, it's because you're boring. <laughs> right, because fun people create their own fun. Fun people have a way of making boring things interesting. We all know those people who, who always seem to have these exciting work stories. Man, my wife always comes home with the most hilarious stories from work. We know people who have exciting stories because adventure has a way of following exciting people around. See, if you're bored, it's your own problem. Things aren't always going to be as exciting and glamorous as they were at the beginning. But that doesn't mean it's time to give up and try something you know. And because it's not how you start, it's how you, it's how you finish. It's how you finish the race. See, we read this and we think of the Olympic races that we see on TV. You know, we quote 1 Corinthians and say we run to win, thinking that I win if I come first, right? Or I win if I beat the competition. I win if I'm the fastest. I win if I'm the strongest. I win if I can jump the highest. I win if I'm the smartest. I win if I'm the wealthiest. I win if I'm the most successful. I win if I'm the most, the most popular. If that's the case, we need to reconsider our definition of winning because winning is finishing well. Winning is finishing this race well. See, Paul tells us that anyone who compares themselves amongst themselves is unwise. It's unwise to compare yourself. It's unwise to measure your success against the success of another person. It's unwise to compare yourself with the people around the corner. Comparing yourself is unwise because your only competition is you. You are your only competition in this race that rule, and it's not about having the gold medal around your neck as you stand on the podium. No, it's about finishing the race and finishing it well. You know, I want my love to grow more and more. I want to be more in love with God at the end of my life than I am at the beginning. I want to be more in love with people at the end of my life than I am at the beginning. I want to be more generous at the end of my life than I am right now. I want to be more kind at the end of my life than I am right now. I want to be more patient at the end of my life than I am right now. Now, remember that time you couldn't wait to open your Bible? Remember that time you, you would spontaneously start talking to God, not because you had to, but because you love Him? Remember that time you couldn't help but tell people about the good things God was doing in your life? Remember that time. See, this race that we're in, it's not a sprint race. It's an endurance race. The question is, are you going to be as passionate in 10, 20, 30 years' time as you are today? Come on, are you still going to be following Jesus in 50, 60, 70, when you're 50, 60, 70 years old? 
Now, we didn't start this church 30 years ago for it to evaporate into history. Now, we're here for the long haul. We, we, we built this church to last. We're building with the future in mind. We're, we're not here today and gone tomorrow. We, we aren't going anywhere. We're building for future generations. God is playing the long game. But, but, but the challenge in any race is don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up on this race. Don't give up on pursuing God. Don't give up on on wrestling. Don't give up on pursuing Him, on chasing Him down. Don't give up on your dream. Don't give up on what you're passionate about today. Don't give up. Man, this this is an amazing church. I don't think you, you know, many people don't quite appreciate how incredible this church is. It's filled with amazing people. But it is far from perfect. It is far from perfect. Now, you might love it now. Ha-ha. <laughs> right? But there's going to come a time where it's going to be challenging. Right? You're going to be offended. You're going to be hurt. It's going to happen. But the question is, what are you going to do when that time comes? How are you going to respond? You know, for me, this church is home. This church is home. Before it's a a ministry responsibility, this church is my home. Now, I am Sue's son. I'm Laura's brother. I'm Jake's friend. I'm I'm Johnny's mentor. This is home. This isn't some organizational ladder that I can climb. This isn't some social service provider. This is family. We are a body of believers doing life together. Come on, a whole bunch of friends championing one another to do great things in God. This is my home. The Bible tells us, don't grow tired of doing good, for we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Giving up isn't just moving backwards. For many of us, giving up is staying exactly where you are. Man, don't give up moving forward. Don't give up taking risks. Don't give up living by faith. Don't give up trusting in God. Don't give up moving forward in life. Keep going. Jesus is standing there yelling, telling us, I made it and you can too. I know it's hard, but it's worth it in the end. Don't give up. Stick with the program. Don't stay where you are. Keep moving forward. Now, I know we have those days. Every one of us, we have those days. Those days are going to happen. They're going to come. It's inevitable. And those days where we we struggle with boredom, those days where we're, we're distracted, those days where we struggle with discouragement, tiredness, loneliness, guilt, sin, man, we're all going to have those days. You should have seen me after the first day of the fast. Man, that was definitely one of those days. But the Bible tells us if a righteous person falls down seven times, what do they do? They get back up. They get back up. I want to tell you this this morning. A righteous person isn't someone who's perfect. You're not righteous because you don't make mistakes. You're not righteous because you don't fall over. You're not righteous because you you don't drop the ball from time to time. You're not righteous because you don't make mistakes and say the wrong thing. 
But when you are righteous, a defining characteristic of your life is that when you fall over, you stand back up. When you fall over, you get back up on your feet. When you fall over, you keep pursuing, you keep running. Don't give up. Paul writes, I am certain, I am certain that God who began a good work will continue this work until it is finally finished. He will finish what he started. Now, are you grateful for that? Man, God's going to finish what he started. He is faithful to complete the good works that he's began in your life. Man, it was, it was around two years ago uh, that I was struggling in this area. And thoughts of giving up were, were plaguing my mind. Now, I wouldn't call it a, a crisis of faith. You know, I still believed. But it was more a crisis of calling. I was struggling to see what God was calling me to. Now, it was a, it was a difficult season for us as a couple, I'm going to be honest. It was, it was tough. You know, I recently stepped into a new role, and, and I was finding it difficult. Right? I was beginning to have serious doubts. Uh, maybe I'd made a mistake. Maybe there's someone else who could do this better. You know, those are the thoughts that were running through my mind. And eventually, I told myself, I can't do this. I'm the wrong person for the job. My confidence had gone, and as, as a result, I was struggling to find fulfillment in what I was doing. And I caught up with a friend over lunch and started op opening up, and he asked me a question, you know, bless him. It, I don't think it was the most helpful question, but he asked me this, <laughs> is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? My response was, yes, of course. You know, because that was the answer I was supposed to have. But, but that question, it stuck with me. You know, and I went away from that lunch just, just asking myself that question. And I began to reconsider what I was doing. Maybe it would be easier if I changed paths. Maybe it would be easier if I just walked away. Maybe it would be easier if I just found a, a nice, easy, secure job. You know, I'd still be a good person. I still live a good life, but, but maybe just play it safe. You know, maybe this is a season for me to pull back a little bit, start to, to, to reconsider what my priorities are. And, you know, I, I began to, to find myself in a place of indecision. Do you know, the Bible says that, that an undecided person is unstable in all their ways. Right, and that, that, that place of indecision, it began to affect other areas of my life. It, it affected my marriage. It affected my relationships. It, it affected my friendships. I began to struggle with depression. I, I, was, I was struggling. It, it affected everything. You know, in those places of indecision, it can be difficult to get excited about the future because to be honest, you don't really know what it looks like. You don't know what what's possible. You struggle to find vision. But it was in a, in a meeting, not unlike this one, that God spoke. That's why it's so important to get yourself into places like this, because it's a place where God speaks. God spoke, and He led me to Hebrews 12. Set your eyes on Jesus 
the author and perfecter of your faith. Do you know, in that moment, in that moment, I made a decision. I was gonna lift my eyes off my own inadequacy and I was gonna set my focus on His sufficiency. Do you know, it wasn't an instantaneous transformation. But what happened in that moment is it was the beginning of a journey, a journey of change. And across that journey of weeks and months, God began to remind me who I was. He began to remind me what I was called to do. He, he began to remind me why I got into this in the first place. He began to remind me the people who are gonna be influenced on the other side of this decision. He began to remind me of the call. He began to remind me of the promise. He reminded me of who I was. He began to reestablish that foundation of faith. He, he did something in me. He healed me and set me free. Do you know that I've never been more secure than I am right now? I've never been more confident of the call on my life than I am right now. I came through that journey a, a stronger person. Why? Because God spoke. Now, the context of this passage is persecution. You've got to understand who the writer of Hebrews is talking to. He's talking to a persecuted people. These are, these are people who are having their businesses taken from them. Right? These are, are people who are, who are being forced out of their homes. These are people who are being separated from their families. These are people who are, who are being beaten and oppressed. These are people who are hearing stories of their friends being killed for what they believe. And they're left wondering, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? See, these believers attempted to quit, to stop, to pull back, to temper their passion, to stop being vocal, to fit in and not stand out. If you've ever felt like quitting, this letter's for you. This letter is written for you. Now, I know a lot of us, we take comfort in Romans 8, 28, where it says God's gonna work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You know, a lot of us, we're, we're expecting the, the Disney swirl, right? Anyone know what I'm talking about? That, that moment in the movie, yeah. right, where everything transforms, you know, ah, ah, <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? You know, where everything is in a moment, all the bad stuff, all the challenges just turns around. We're expecting that moment where everything's going to change. But it takes time. The reality is it takes time. God is using all things together for good, but there's a process at play. Come on, He's moving. He's doing something, but it takes time. 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says this, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has go gone. Behold, the new life has begun. Do you know the moment we accept Jesus into our lives, we are saved. We are saved. We are free. The theological term is we are justified. It's just as if I had never sinned. There's a moment where your life has changed. There's a moment where your life is transformed. You're saved from the penalty of sin. But after you enter the gate, you're going to need to walk down the path. 
right? It says this, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and the Lord makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And the theological term is sanctified. There's a process of change and transformation. See, we are saved, but we are being saved. There's this process, there's this journey of transformation that God takes us on. The Bible tells us that I am the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of Christ. In a moment, you are saved. I am righteous. That's who I am. But who I used to be is fighting for my attention and my affection. On this journey of change, we need to trust God in the process. You know, there's this, this guy by the name of Charles Blondin. He was a, an acrobat and a tightrope walker. And uh, he traveled and performed with various troops and circuses throughout uh, the United Kingdom and North America. And uh, he was a talented man, but his greatest fame came in uh, 1860, uh, where he tightrope walked, get this, 160 feet in the air across the Niagara Falls. That was incredible. It, 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 news spread, right? The word had spread, the word had got out, and a crowd had begun to form to, to, to watch him do this amazing feat. He crossed the falls several times that day, each day doing a, a new and more death-defying stunt. You know, he'd walk across it blindfolded, he'd walk across it on stilts, he'd, he walked across it in the dark. The story goes that he even carried a, 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 an oven on his back, sat down in the middle, cooked himself an omelet and ate it. It was crazy. So after crossing the falls several times, the, the, the crowd began to grow quite large. And so he addressed the crowd and asked, who here believes that I can push a person in a wheelbarrow across this tightrope. And the entire crowd erupted and cheered. You're the greatest tightrope walker in the world. We believe. Right, everyone was cheering and, and cheering him on. And so he said, okay, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? Everyone went silent. Right, not a single person volunteered. And that was the end of his performance. Nearly everyone here wants to look more like Jesus. And I'm willing to be every single person in the room wants to grow. Right? We want to move forward. We want to be stronger and better off tomorrow than we are today. We say to Jesus, make me more like you. Make me more like you. Make me more generous, more kind, more loving, more patient. And Jesus says to us, awesome. Get in the wheelbarrow. Get in the wheelbarrow. Now, we like the idea of it, but the reality is something different. We say, man, Jesus, make me more like you, but we really don't understand what we're asking. See, the Bible says that, that we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. But in order to be a conqueror, you need something to conquer, right? Because every, every change requires a challenge. Growth requires a grind. The process is going to involve some pain. We want to grow. We want to become more like Him, but we don't really know what we're asking for. All this time, we need to remember 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vast outweighs them and will last 
forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we can see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. What you think is gonna stop you is the very thing that God's gonna use to propel you into your future and your destiny. See, I reckon offense is a, is a tool in God's tool belt, right? He's, he's using the challenges in life to draw out the potential in us. He has plans for us. He believes in us. But if he's gonna finish the work that he's begun, firstly, we need to get in shape. We need to get in shape. Like every marathon runner who, who runs to win, we need to get in shape. If we're gonna complete this race, if we're gonna finish it, we need to get in shape. And the first way we get in shape is we lay aside every encumbrance. And there's a, uh, the ancient Olympic runners uh, would actually uh, train and compete naked. Right, that's a sight. Uh, they train and compete naked, uh, basically to remove the weight uh, off them so they, they could be at peak performance. So they train, oh, I'm grateful that we don't see uh, naked people running through the streets of, Marath- uh, through the streets of Manhattan on the New York Marathon. Right? Instead, they, they, they wear light road shoes, lightweight road shoes and, and running shorts and, and a singlet. Why? Because they want to they wanna lay aside every encumbrance. Now, encumbrance is those things that slow you down. Those things that aren't necessarily bad, right? But they're not good either. They're not necessarily gonna ruin your life, but they're just gonna stop you from moving forward. Man, if you're gonna do great things in life, which I'm willing to bet that every person in this room does, there are some things that you're gonna have to let go of. There are some things that you're gonna have to cast aside. Maybe it's a hobby. You know, I'm not saying we can't have fun, but, but if you're gonna do the things that God's called you to do, maybe there are some things that you're gonna have to cast aside. I don't know, Netflix, gaming, whatever it might be, there might be things you need to put aside. Relationships. You know, if you're gonna do great things in God, there are people that you're not gonna be able to hang out with. There are people that are gonna hold you back. There are people that are gonna keep you where they are. Maybe it's a boyfriend, maybe it's a girlfriend. There are people that are gonna stop you from entering. I'm not telling you you have to do it, but if you wanna do great things in life, there are some things you're gonna have to let go of. Maybe it's possessions that vie for your attention, whatever it might be. Come on, we need to lay aside every encumbrance. The second thing we need to do is we need to lay aside every sin. Every sin. Now, sin is all those things that entangle you and trip you up. Sin is simply falling short of God's perfect plan. The Bible tells us that we are all sinners. We were born with a sinful nature. We inherited it, all of humanity. And often, it can feel like a never-ending battle. Often it can feel like the same cycle over and over again. I've heard uh, one person say that sin is like trying to hold a beach ball under the water. Right? Sometimes it's easy just to let it go. Right? To go back to, to the way you used to live, to go back to the people you used to hang out with, to go back to the person you used to be. Sometimes it is. 
But one of the problems with sin is we fall victim to the lie that I must be the only one. Do you know what the problem with that lie is? Is it makes you feel sorry for yourself. And all of a sudden you start to ask questions like, what, what's the point? Why, why turn up? Why keep turning up? Why give? Why be generous? Why read your Bible? Why follow Jesus? What's the point? If I'm going to keep struggling, I'm the only one. With those, those, those lies, those thoughts continue to run through your mind. You know, I, I've heard it said that, that sin is like a, a snake in a glass box. Right? And imagine a, uh, the owner of the, the snake uh, went to the store and bought a white mouse as, as food for his pet snake. So he threw the, the mouse into the, the glass box with the, the snake who was sleeping on a bed of sawbed, a sawdust, sawdust. And so the, the, the mouse all of a sudden knows that its life's in danger. Right? He better think quick uh, if he wants to avoid almost certain death. And so he comes up with this brilliant plan. He starts to throw sawdust onto the snake, thinking that if, if I can cover the snake, the problem's gone. All of a sudden, the snake's disappeared. There we go, problem solved. And we know that's not really the answer. The answer only comes when the, the owner reaches down grabs the mouse and lifts him out of the box. See, the moment Jesus gave his life on the cross, the penalty and the power of sin was broken over our lives. We are victorious. Do you know, if you know you're victorious, it really doesn't matter who you go up against. Why? Because you're victorious. You're living in victory. So we need to get in shape. The second thing we need to do if we're gonna finish this race is we need to stay the course. Stay the course. See, change is not fast. It's steady. Change is steady. Initially, it goes unnoticed. But if you would stay your course, if you would run your race, you'll find what it is you're looking for. I believe the one of the most defining questions in life is will you last? Come on, will you last? You know, the word discipline is mentioned 10 times in this passage. And I know that many of us can associate discipline with punishment, right? But that's not what we're talking. I know the word punish is used in this, in this scripture, but it's in a different context. And uh, I could ask um, Tavita and Scott, do you guys want to jump up on stage? Awesome. A couple of good looking guys. All right. Now, many of us, we associate discipline with Punishment. Scott, if you could uh, go down that end. And uh, Tavita, do you want to jump down that end of the stage? But Jesus was punished so we won't have to be. Right? If we, if we fear punishment from God, it really means we don't understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Jesus set us free. Now, punishment looks back. Right? Punishment looks back at the person I used to be. Here we go, Scott. Before shot. Discipline looks forward. There you go. There you go. One day, Scott. One day we'll all look like Tavita. No, punishment looks forward. 
It looks forward. Discipline focuses on who we used to be. Discipline focuses on our mistakes. It focuses on our, no, sorry, punishment focuses on our mistakes, our past, the, the, the old me. Discipline focuses on my potential. It's redemptive. It focuses on my future and what I could be. Now, many of us, right, we're, we're in this journey, but we're looking back. We're focused on our past. We're moving forward, but we're looking back. And it's just a matter of time before I trip and I fall. That's why it's so important that I look forward at who I could be. I look forward at the promise of God. I look forward, come on, to the, the, the promises and the things that God has in store for me. Come on, give it up for our, our volunteers this morning. Now, now, there's a difference between God's discipline and the consequences of our own actions. Right? I'm not talking to people who keep making dumb mistakes and ignore good advice. Right? I'm talking about the discipline of God. Do you know, discipline is like training. Do you know why He trains you? Because He believes in you. Because He's proud of you. Because He wants good things for you. Tom Landry, uh, the former coach of the Dallas Cowboys was recorded saying this, my job is to make these young men do what they don't want to do in order to help them become the men they've always wanted to be. If you're running into opposition, you just might be running in the right direction. Well, the Bible says that beware when all men speak well of you. If, if you've got some critics, maybe you're onto something. Maybe you are heading in the right direction. Maybe this is the path that God has in store for you. So we need to, what we need to get in shape, we need to stay the course. And finally, we need to focus on the prize. Focus on the prize. I invite the band up on, on stage. Now, who ever, ever has uh, taken part in an uh, egg and spoon race? Anyone, you know what an egg and spoon race is? My uh, friend side of stage could bring it out. Awesome, awesome. Here we go. We've got an egg and a spoon. Please pray for me, all right, for this illustration to work. Now, we all know what egg and spoon race is, right? Like, see, we go through life like an egg and spoon race. We. We focus, so we, we're, we're looking towards the, the end of the race, but we're focusing on the prize. We're looking towards the end, but we're focusing on the prize. We're looking towards the promise, but we're focusing on the prize. Because we need to get the prize across the line. We need to get this egg across the line in one piece. Come on, we look towards the the promise, but we focus on the prize. We look towards the, the destination, but we focus on the prize. We look towards what in, what's in store, but we focus on the prize. Come on, it's about getting this egg across the line. Laying aside is a necessary part of the process, right? It's necessary. But the power is not in laying aside. The power is in where you are focused. Power comes when we focus on our relationship with Jesus. Laying aside without focusing on Jesus is just self-improvement. 
right? You might as well be at a Tony Robbins seminar right now. But we focus on the prize. We focus on Jesus. Why? Because He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Where does faith come from? It's initiated by Jesus. How is it completed? It's completed by Jesus. Come on, Jesus is our source. He is our supply. He is everything we need. And focusing on Jesus requires we take our eyes off ourselves and our distractions, and we look to Him. That's why we sing, look to Jesus songs. That's why we have look to Jesus meetings on a Sunday. That's why it's important for you to have a, a look to Jesus devotional life. We wanna look to Him because He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. And we find encouragement in the fact that He's already done it. He's been there. He's walked these streets. He, he's breathed this air. He knows what it is to walk a day in your shoes. He's done it before. He's not asking you to do anything that He hasn't already done. No, He's asking you to trust Him. The fact that you're still breathing means that He's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose that He wants to reveal. There is something that God wants to do in your life. Come on, there is a promise, there is a future, there is a hope if we would focus on the prize. Now, I know a lot of people struggle with the fact that God would allow such bad things to happen in this world. Man, logic aside, they philosophically refuse to believe in a God who would allow the presence of evil and suffering in this world. I know, maybe, maybe there's people here this morning like that. But just because you can't see a good reason why God might allow some things to happen doesn't mean they aren't there. Tim Keller says this, he says, if you have a God great and transcendent enough to be mad at because he hasn't stopped evil and suffering in the world, then maybe you have a God great and transcendent enough to have a good reason, reason for allowing it to continue. And though I'm not grateful for the trials that I've faced in life, in no way would I trade the, the, the insight, the character and the strength that I've gained as a result. Now, many people here have to admit that most of what they really needed for success in life was gained through the most difficult and painful experiences. Now, you might be saying, Ed, you can't even begin to understand what I've been through. All this philosophizing doesn't get God off the hook for what I've experienced. You know, you're right. I may not understand. But one thing I know is that Jesus does. Because Jesus came to earth for the very purpose of putting himself on the hook of what you've experienced. Jesus experienced the very depths of human pain. The Bible says that Jesus wept. Man, when's the last time you wept? I mean, I mean like ugly crying. And he wept. He knows what it feels like to be lonely. He knows what it feels like to be hurt. He knows what it feels like to be betrayed. He knows what it feels like to laugh. He knows what it feels like to cry. Jesus knows. He's been there. 
Now, although Christianity may not always provide an answer for the pain you experience, it does provide the deepest resource to face it with hope and courage. Because we know that with time, He'll work all things together for good. In time, He'll work all things together for good. Romans 10, 9. It's been made famous uh, by every single preacher who's ever done an altar call. Right? But even though we've only ever heard it in this context, it doesn't mean it's just for, for unbelievers and non-Christians. And this is what it says, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. How are we made righteous? By believing in our heart. It's by your faith in God's grace that you're made right. It's by your faith in God's grace that you are saved. And as we accept the truth that we are righteous, as we acknowledge the, the gift of grace that Christ has given us, it begins to produce fruit in our life. It produces results. Now, I'm not talking about results that you gain through stress and anxiety, working hard, performing, going to the gym, modifying your body. I'm not talking about those kind of results. The fruit is a peaceful harvest of right living. Peaceful results of living right. Strength, patience, character, credibility, compassion, kindness, beauty, depth, generosity, self-control, wisdom, authority. Now I could keep going. God is forming something in you if you would not give up. Come on, if you would not walk away. And this morning, I, I really believe that God's speaking to people here and there's a particular group of people He's speaking to. I believe God is speaking to people here who have begun the journey, but you've lost your passion. You've lost your fire. Man, you're living a good life. You tithe, you're honorable, you don't swear. You know, you've got a good family around you, you pay your taxes. You live a good life, but but where's your passion? Where's your fire? I mean, maybe it's because of offense. Maybe offense has gotten in. You're holding on to your right. Man, it's my right to be offended. It's my right. They hurt me. And that's true. It is your right to be offended, but it doesn't mean it's not going to destroy you. Man, God wants to do a miracle in your life. If you would trust Him, Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe you haven't got the results. That maybe you had a dream and it didn't work out quite as you expected. Whatever it is, I believe God's gonna restore that passion this morning. Come on, He's gonna put a fire in your heart. He's gonna restore that passion for His purpose and His call. Come on, every person, can you jump to your feet? I believe the presence of God is in this place and He wants to speak to people this morning. Well, if that's you, 
Take them back to that first love, Lord. 